One of the things we've learned in the past two years is that hand sanitizer is good, but not as good as soap and water. And, and what are you supposed to do? Lather up and sing happy birthday while you do it? Or some other song that makes sure you continue to wash your hands for a particular amount of time to... But you know that soap and water doesn't get every stain out as well, right? I mean, hand sanitizer has a particular usage, but if you get like chocolate on your shirt or you cut yourself shaving and you have blood on your collar, you need some specialized stain remover type of stuff. So I have like these four little bottles of yellow stuff and each one of them is like a different, slightly different solvent because it, it takes different stuff out, right? It dissolves, it dissolves different things, but there are some stains that only come out one way. There are some stains that only come out one way. Listen to the word of the Lord from Luke's gospel. This is Luke 23 beginning in verse 26. Luke 23, starting in verse 26. And I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. And they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us, verse 31. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We think of the sins that Jesus dies to forgive as a nebulous ball of bad things that we and others have done that his blood covers, and, and that's his, that it's true as far as it goes. 
But it's more than just that. It's more than just a bunch of unnamed bad things that humanity has done over a period of time. And, and in this particular passage, even Jesus is a little surprised at the treatment he is receiving as he moves through judgment, torture, and crucifixion. These words are, are so strong in my mind as I think about them. When Jesus says, if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? I mean, what does Jesus mean by those somewhat picturesque words? If, if humans are willing to perpetrate these kinds of horrible, wicked, unjust, despicable actions while he is alive and present with them, how much more evil will they do when he is no longer with them? Maybe you can think of it like this. If you're coming to an intersection and you see the police car sitting there and someone else drives up to the intersection and sees the police car there and ignores the police car and drives right through the stop sign and keeps going through the intersection, you say to yourself, wow, if he won't even stop for the stop sign when the police car is sitting right there, he'll, he'll do anything. He'll break any law, right? He, he, he has no fear of the enforcement of justice. No fear. And when Jesus says, if they will act like this when the wood is green, when Jesus is physically present on the earth before them, what will the depths of depravity look like when he's not around to at least give a visible projection of the justice of God in our world? Look at what Jesus is enduring at the moment. He's been arrested on trumped up charges by the leaders of his own people. This is a family betrayal of the worst kind. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah rejected by the Jewish leaders. Jesus has been betrayed by a member of his own inner circle. Regardless of how we look back on it now, Jesus was a trusted, Judas was a trusted member of Jesus' inner circle. You don't give the treasury bag to someone you don't trust, right? And Judas was family to Jesus. It's the worst kind of betrayal to be betrayed by family. He's been all but abandoned by his closest friends. He's accused of blasphemy against his father, the person he loved most and the person he obeyed consistently throughout his entire life. It is the most false and the most ridiculous of all the charges that he faces. And then, in addition to all that humiliation, he must submit himself to the judgment of lesser men. Do you know how maddening it is to submit yourself to the judgment of lesser men? Men so much lesser they shouldn't even be in the same room as Jesus. 
and yet he's submitting to them. And he's physically tortured and physically humiliated. Guards maul him, inflict pain, savage his body, spikes are driven, and I will not mention all the agonies that crucifixion must have entailed. And yet, once crucified, we hear words from Jesus we have no right to expect. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they, they can't know the awfulness of their crime. They, they can't conceive the depths of depravity that brings humanity to the place where we kill God himself because he doesn't fit our idea of who he ought to be. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. I think we've heard those words so many times as the gospel story has been repeated that they've lost their power to shock us, but they should shock us. Jesus isn't just forgiving the sins of the whole world as he dies on Calvary's cross. He is forgiving the sins of all the people present on that day, on that worst day of all days, on that Friday when event after event results in deepening the sinful depravity of humanity. He's, he's looking personal sins against him in the face and forgiving those. Somehow it almost feels like it's easier to say, oh, I forgive all of you, than it is to look into the face of your immediate betrayer and say, I forgive you. Father, don't hold this against them. He's forgiving ignorant Pilate and the power-hungry Jewish leaders and the vicious guards and the spineless disciples and all that's transpiring on that day. He's taking all that hurt, all that pain, all that injustice, all that violence, and choosing not to return violence for evil. He's, he's choosing not to call the 12 legions of angels to inject vengeance. He's choosing not to hurl lightning bolts from the cross. He's choosing not to curse humanity for their rejection. I mean, you've seen and left television movies to see when victims of horrific crimes in their last breath bring themselves up and they hurl an invective curse around everyone who's done this injustice. We've seen that enough on television. We expect that kind of a thing. When people are wrong, they lash out with curses. No. There aren't any curses on Jesus' lips. There's, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's choosing to forgive all that went on. And, 
And we can't even really imagine that today. Or, even if maybe we can dare to imagine it, we find extreme difficulty imitating it. When we baptize, we believe the waters of baptism symbolically wash away our sins. We die with Christ, we, are, we raise with him, and baptism is our symbol of a, of a work that's taken place deep inside us. We've confessed our sins to Christ by faith, we've accepted the forgiveness that Christ offers to us, and when we make Jesus Lord of our lives, and ask for his forgiveness for all that we've done that's wrong and all that we are that's wrong, he freely forgives, though we don't deserve the mercy. And we say, praise God for that, that we get a new lease on life because of the mercy of Christ Jesus. We don't deserve forgiveness, but Jesus offers us forgiveness. But, but once we're clean, too often, we go back to the kind of scorekeeping and grudge-holding that quickly tarnishes our hands again. We know that when we rise from the waters of baptism, when we rise out of the water, we're supposed to walk in newness of life. We've heard the powerful words of Jesus in Matthew 17, the parable of the unmerciful servant. The king has a subject, he comes in, the king forgives this massive debt that the subject owes the king, and then that subject who's just been freed from this massive debt walks out of the palace, meets a little servant guy who owns him a buck two fifty, and he gets all upset and demands repayment right here. And the king hears about it, and the king hauls that subject back and says, what were you thinking? I just forgave you like 6.5 million, and you won't forgive your fellow neighbor of a buck two fifty? What were you thinking? And then Jesus' words, this is how your heavenly father will also treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart, right? So we know the story about we have been forgiven much, and so we are forgiving people. And it hasn't been that long since we heard the scripture that reminded us that before we think about picking the dust particle out of our neighbor's eyes, we should pay attention to ourselves. You know, Jesus never goes further in that, in that passage and says, you really ought to focus on getting those dust motes out of your neighbor's eyes. He doesn't really tell us that, does he? He just wants us to make sure of who we are because we have enough stuff. We have been called to forgive others in the way that Jesus forgave us. But we often simply refuse to forgive, refuse to let go, perhaps because we just don't think it's fair. We don't, we don't think it's just. We don't want those bad things that were done to be forgotten. We don't want those people to get away with it. We want those people to understand how much they hurt us. We know we've been told not to seek revenge. In fact, we've been warned about it in scripture. We've been told not to return evil for evil. But if we're honest, we don't much like that. It doesn't satisfy our desire to be vindicated. We never get our I told you so moment. If there was ever a day 
when we needed desperately to rethink forgiveness, it's today. We have just endured an extremely divisive period in our collective experience. Relationships have been broken. Accusations have been hurled. People have caused death and others have been blamed for it. Social media has fanned the flames of our venom. If Jesus wondered what would happen when the wood is dry, this is it. Our day is what happens when the wood is dry. From polarized news services that lead to massive anger, from racial violence and mass shootings everywhere, from government overreach and institutional failures, from abuse and hatred, and on and on it goes. We have seen it and we have been victimized by it. And for some of us, this is nothing new. Some of us are practiced at nursing wounds. Maybe the wounds of five years ago or a decade ago or a generation ago, we were done wrong. That person hasn't made it right yet. Justice has not been done. And we still have some level of vengeance in our heart about this. And we are still angry. And what was done hasn't been righted yet. You might say to me, Pastor, but if you knew what happened to me, you'd sing a different song. I confess, I have listened to stories that are so horrible that all I can do is weep when I hear them. But this I've learned in the face of all of those stories. Carrying grudges is a hobby that will cripple you. It will stain your hands black. It is every bit as harmful to the grudge carrier as it is to the perpetrator of the original crime if left unconfessed. And the kind of stains the kinds of stains that grudge carrying can leave only come out one way. You say, I'm not carrying any grudges. I just don't want to speak to that person anymore. I will grant you, there is a place for creating boundaries around people who continually do you harm. But creating boundaries is different than returning evil for evil. We, the followers of Jesus Christ, are called to forgive. All that has been done to us, all that is being done to us. In the same way that Jesus looks at the Roman soldiers who are standing right before him and prays for their forgiveness, in that same way, we pray, Father, forgive she, he, him, her, them. Forgive them for what they, are, they have done. And Jesus, I'll leave the collecting of this debt in your hands. Vengeance is the Lord's, so he says. And so we lay down our grudges at the foot of the cross. 
We lay down the injustice done to us at the foot of the cross. You say, how do you do that? I don't know that any of us have the strength to do that in our own power. But we invite the, the Holy Spirit to assist us and say, Spirit, I know I must lay this down. Will you help me? Will you help me to lay down this grudge, to lay down this, this thing that continues to eat away at me from the inside, this moral cancer that is in me that demands justice? Will you help me lay this down? So when I ask you, who are you holding grudges against? Who have you not yet forgiven? What names does the Holy Spirit speak into your mind? <laughs> the Spirit does that, you know he does. The minute we start getting to a place where we know we have work to do with the Spirit, the Spirit very specifically populates in our minds the people that we have to forgive or the situations that we have to forgive or, or what we have to do to embrace the character of Christ and be like Jesus. And so I ask, I mean, what names does the Holy Spirit speak into your mind? Who have you spoken evil against? Who did you wrong and you're not sure you're ready to forgive yet? Who cheated you, lied about you, was nasty to you, betrayed you? Who are you perpetually angry at. Will you? Can you leave the judgment for all of that to God? Can you choose to allow God to work and trust that in his time he will sort these things out? Are you able to choose to forgive? Are there things you have held on to that you know are less than God's best for you and you're thinking that your hands are a little bit stained with the grime of that and you need Jesus to forgive you. Now, we always believe that baptism is a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit internally in our hearts. And we know that when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, he does that work in us. And then baptism is the confirmation of that internal decision. And yet every time we baptize, every time we recite the creed and we say that we will be baptized into this faith, this faith where Jesus dies for our sins. And at some point in the liturgy, the pastor says, as he sprinkles water out in the congregation, remember your baptism. Remember what you promised when you were baptized. And this is what we promised, that we will, with God's help, follow in the footsteps of Jesus all the days of our lives. That's the promise that we made. And I can't get all of you wet this morning, but I think it would be good for us to just take the step of remembering our baptism today, to at least maybe get our hand wet in the waters of baptism and remember what we promised. 
and ask the Spirit to enable us. And, and it may mean I need to ask for forgiveness again. That I, that I haven't really believed the message of Christ that as I've been forgiven, I must also forgive. And so I'm going to do something a little crazy this morning and give you an opportunity. If you want to, in a really tangible way, remember your baptism today, I'll invite you when Aaron comes to lead us in a song to just get up from your seat, walk over here, walk up the steps, go up front, and just stick your hands in the baptismal waters and remember again that Jesus died that you could be free from your sins and that he invites you to forgive others. And take the opportunity again to confirm the vows you made in your baptism. Now there are some of you for whom climbing those steps is going to be a little too difficult. Those of you who have weak knees and aching backs and whatever. And so I've just brought some of the waters of baptism here. So you don't have to climb all the way up there if you don't want to. But you can come right here and reach your hand in and, and touch the water and remember again the promises that we made in baptism. We're going to do more baptizing next Sunday as well. But for this Sunday, can we remember our baptism? Can we invite the Spirit to speak to us? Can we say to the Spirit, search me, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. Lead me in the way of the one who could look at the soldiers and say, Father, Forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. When we embrace forgiveness at that level, that's when we live in true freedom. That's almost the definition of freedom. All those grudges, all the, all the past washed by Jesus Christ. We're to say this song, Cornerstone. If you want to sing, you can. But any who would like to remember their baptism, I invite, as soon as we start singing, just to stand, walk this way, however you can, touch the waters and walk out again. I, I suspect this will be messy and chaotic, and I'm good with messy and chaotic. That's all fine. If you want to just dip your hand here, you can remember. But I'm going to invite you to come. Lord Jesus, wash us in fresh ways. Speak your truth to our minds. If there is unforgiveness in us, point it out to us. Give us the desire to see it gone. Give us the desire to submit it to your mercy. We want to be people of clean hands and clean hearts, Lord Jesus. So do your work in us, we pray. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to sing. Stand if you like and come this way and touch the waters. My hope is built on nothing less. Jesus' blood 
and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest phrase But holy trust in Jesus' name My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But holy trust in Jesus' name Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil my anchor holds within the veil
now may the glory of God reflect in your faces. And may the Spirit continue to work in us together that we may glorify him now and always. Amen. Go in peace.